Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Tristan Johnson. How you hey, doing? Hey, everybody. Long time no see. And this is a bit of a, a bittersweet episode, I guess, because I've just been informed that this is possibly uh, the last or one of the last episodes that Tristan and I will be hosting together. So all the feels. That was a high five for everybody. High five. Uh, but uh, let's make it an awesome one. We've yeah. got an awesome topic today, and we're joined by Roger Hudson, who's a co-student in the neuroscience program with me. Welcome, Roger. How you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me, Alex. All right. It's exciting. And Tristan. Yeah. So, Yay! So for everyone listening, Roger is a first-year master's student. He studies with Steve Laviolette. And why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, what got you into research? What got you into grad school? Why are you here? Well, interestingly enough, uh, I was a social working major uh, at York University before I uh, transitioned into a psychology major at the University of Guelph. And uh, so, you know, generally uh, the, the willingness for uh, helping others, I guess, would be the uh, reason that I got into education in the first place. But the reason I got into this, uh, the area of addiction and neuroscience was uh, I had a, a a course taught to me by a, an addiction expert at the University of Guelph and the way he explained the disorder was essentially that it was an, uh, a disorder of learning and memory. So uh, individuals that uh, are exposed to drugs of abuse, they can uh, make learned associations with those drugs of abuse uh, with neutral objects around them such as the uh, syringe or the drug itself that they use to take it and these learned associations uh, modulate the effects of the drugs themselves so much so that uh, when the addicted individual isn't around the drug, uh, the associated uh, cues that are associated with those drugs of abuse, they could uh, overdose uh, and fatally uh, because of a lack of uh, preparedness uh, for the drug effects. That's incredible. So there's a, there can be a difference in the actual response that a person has to taking a drug depending on the context, I guess is what you're saying you learned. Definitely, yeah, based That's on their awesome. past experiences. So, so what got you into research as a whole was an interest in, in learning memory and addiction. What's the, co- what's the topic of your research then? Uh, topic of my research specifically yeah, is as how, a grad student. Yeah, would be how uh, co- different compounds within marijuana uh, affect learning and memory. And I'm studying it in a rodent model uh, that represents schizophrenia. But uh, these uh, facts, this information that we're learning can definitely be applied to humans as well. All right, so I do have to ask, how do you get a rat high? <laughs> how do you get a rat high? Uh, pretty similarly to how you do with a human, actually, uh, except for the fact that rats typically don't willingly seek out uh, these drugs of abuse. They don't have access to them the same way as uh, human beings do. So a lot of the times we'll inject the drug into them, uh, and this uh, model works for pretty much any drug of abuse. All right, and so I can tap out all the dumb weed jokes. How does the um, intake of pellets go after that as well? Oh, they'll definitely uh, increase their consumption, that's for sure. All right, good. <laughs> Rat munchies. <laughs> Rat munchies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so you're studying um, basically how these rodents respond to marijuana. Yep, definitely. The two main compounds within marijuana, the first one being uh, delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC for short, and this is the compound uh, 
the major compound that makes you high or that intoxicates an individual after they uh, use cannabis or marijuana. The other compound being cannabidiol or CBD. And this compound's actually shown great promise for uh, preventing or reversing many of the uh, intoxicating and cognitive effects that uh, THC can cause. And it's also shown uh, promise as a treatment for a number of different psychiatric and non-psychiatric disorders. So these two compounds are called THC, and that's the one that historically gets you high, and then and then this other one, CBD, isn't really associated with with doing that part, right? Definitely, uh, there's uh, much, uh, if any, there there is not uh, that I know of any psychoactive uh, basis to the effects of CBD. Okay, and and are you studying that you're studying their effects then on on memory and behavior, or wh- what are you looking at? Essentially, we're looking at different memories that are impacted by THC use that we know uh, anecdotally affect memory in uh, human beings. And we also, we're looking at uh, the basis of uh, specific memories that can be applied uh, to the study of schizophrenia, a very complex neuropsychiatric disorder. How do you do that? Well, uh, we have to get into schizophrenia a little bit to to understand how uh, the memory tests that we're using uh, can be applied to the basis of schizophrenia. So schizophrenia, um, there's two different um, clusters of, of uh, symptoms that these individuals experience. The first being positive uh, symptoms, and these aren't uh, good symptoms by any means, um, but these positive symptoms represent uh, processes, behavioral or thought processes, that aren't typically present in healthily, normally functioning individuals. So these are things such as hallucinations, delusions, uh, changes or um, aberrances in uh, salience attribution or the attribution of importance onto incoming uh, stimuli. So j- just as an example, a schizophrenic individual may be listening to a radio and they may be uh, hearing some static on the radio, which most of us, any uh, normally functioning individual which has heard the static before, uh, we- we'd know that this is just a, a byproduct of listening to the radio. Sometimes static happens. But a schizophrenic individual may attribute the static to uh, an outside force trying to communicate with them or trying to control them, trying to, to tell them things inside of their mind. And so they may uh, take uh, precautions in order to stop the static or stop the, uh, the, the invasive thoughts that, they're, that they think that they're experiencing. And those are the positive symptoms, right? Yes, and that's more or less where my research uh, looks at. But there's also negative clusters of symptoms, and these symptoms largely resemble the symptoms that uh, somebody with depression or anxiety would experience, things like apathy or anhedonia, the, the, the lack of uh, the capacity to experience uh, things that normal individuals or even those individuals themselves typically would or used to find pleasurable. So interacting with other friends, uh, going out to a, to a roller coaster or to... Uh, you know, different things like that. And so how do you measure these kinds of symptoms in our little furry friends? So in our little furry friends, uh, we, we do things such as um, we try and increase or modulate the salience of um, uh, things that we know are uh, pretty important to these rats to begin with. So for instance, uh, rats, just like humans, will prefer um, to spend time in an, in an environment or in an area that has been previously associated with any drug of abuse, name it uh, morphine or heroin or, or marijuana. So w- with, our, with our little furry friends, we'll pair um, a certain environment with morphine and then a different environment with saline or just water, the absence of the drug of abuse. And like I said, after a few pairings, after a few experiences that a certain uh, environment is associated with the uh, intoxicating effects of the drug, the animal will learn to spend more time in that area because they, they're anticipating the effects of the drug. They want to be around the effects of the drug. However, with uh, 
uh, in a schizophrenia model that I'm using, we're actually administering uh, doses of these drugs that are not high enough to cause intoxication. They're, they're sub-thresholds in a sense, right? So we give these animals a low, very, very low dose of the drug, and then we also administer them uh, a cannabinoid agonist. In this case, we're using THC or CBD, and we're mixing the two together to get a combination as well. And we're seeing how these different compounds within marijuana can influence the salience associated with uh, other drugs of abuse. And what we're seeing is that THC specifically can increase the salience um, of very low doses of morphine, indicating that the two drugs interact with each other and that THC is capable of increasing the salience of typically uh, non-important or unimportant um, uh, stimuli. Mm. All right, so there was, there was a fair bit in there. Let's, let's break it down a little bit. Cannabinoid agonist. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? So t uh, substances like THC and CBD act on um, a, a chemical system that's already present within the brain, and this uh, system is called the endocannabinoid system. Um, our body, uh, our brains produce uh, different substances, different chemicals uh, on, a, on a natural basis to interact with these uh, systems, and it's, these, it's this endocannabinoid system that marijuana or the compounds within it uh, are interacting with in order to produce their intoxicating uh, effects. So it's cannabinoid like cannabis or marijuana? That's definitely... Uh, the reason why it was uh, named or coined to be the endocannabinoid system, uh, the reason that we have this system in our body isn't because of uh, the use of ca cannabis, though. That's yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So the system is there, and when you when you take in the drug, it kind of is, it's it's I don't want to call it hijacking a system, but it's enhancing an existing system. Definitely, that's already it's, present. It's modulating the effects that the system would typically have on the surrounding environment that it's that it's present in. Definitely. So. So you know you, you you take in the in the drug and there it's a compound and it gets into your brain. Where where does it go in the brain? Does it act on certain locations? Does it act everywhere in the brain? What's it doing? Well, and that's the thing. Uh, you know we, we can't control where this drug goes. It's going all throughout the body and the brain. And this is why uh, drugs, uh, be it uh, pharmaceutical drugs or recreationally used drugs, they all have side effects. And these drugs are acting in areas that uh, have their therapeutic or recreational effects. So drugs that uh, produce an intoxication or a high are typically acting within very specific areas of the brain, uh, some of which being uh, dopamine-related regions like the ventral tegmental area and the nucleus accumbens. Uh, but a lot of the side effects associated with, uh, for instance, opiate drugs, heroin and morphine, uh, are due to their effects within the um, uh, Medulla oblongata, an area of the brain that controls uh, breathing rates and uh, circulatory system. So, they so go ahead. Oh, so, so if I got this right, so all almost all drugs work by uh, looking close enough to like a molecule that is in the brain naturally, and basically gives your brain a whole lot of the kind of sensation that's associated with just like little bits of it, like um, you were saying, opioid, like the kind of relaxation yep. stuff that, you know, your brain puts out regularly, but it just gives you a whole lot of it. Definitely. No, that's, that's a fantastic way of thinking about it, Tristan. Um, for every drug, uh, for the most part, uh, acts on an existing system within the brain. The op uh, opiates, such as morphine and heroin, they act on a system called the opioid system. Uh, stimulant drugs, such as cocaine and methylphenidate, they'll act through a system called the dopamine system. Uh, for the, uh, this goes for most drugs, but not alcohol. Alcohol is a special kind of drug because it affects uh, many different neurotransmitter systems in the brain and doesn't uh, specifically have its own system that it's interacting with. Okay, and in our case, then, what it's, it's interacting with is the cannabinoid system, the Definitely. cannabinoid receptor. Okay. It's interesting. THC uh, 
exerts the majority of its effects through the cannabinoid system. However, CBD has very little affinity or, or uh, very little closeness uh, to the cannabinoid system. It actually exerts the majority of its effects through the uh, serotonin system. So it's just like a, almost like an accident that this that marijuana just happens to have both chemicals in the same plant. It's it's very interesting that they have two uh, distinct and uh, divergent chemicals that act in such different and opposing ways. However, it's not. Um, it's very common in um, ethnopharmacology for uh, plants to have complementary compounds which act in uh, distinct and often opposing ways to achieve some sort of homeostasis would be the uh, primary hypothesis behind it. Cool. So, so it acts on all these different parts of the brain. Um, but you're looking at one particular part. What's that? So I'm looking at a specific part of the hippocampus, the lower or the ventral portion of the hippocampus. And uh, typically when we think of the hippocampus, it's, it's a learning and memory area of the brain. It's where uh, new memories are, are gained and then distributed to different regions of the brain in order to have them stored. Uh, however, the ventral hippocampus, although it's very integral within learning and memory as well, it has uh, large connections to different associative memory kinds of regions of the brain or, or regions of the brain that are associated with emotional kinds of memories. And that's the reason why uh, we're looking at specifically the ventral hippocampus uh, in relation to schizophrenia, because there's a lot of evidence to suggest that schizophrenic individuals have um, uh, issues with their emotional processing, their attribution of salience or importance onto emotional stimuli, such as a uh, the way I was talking about the morphine uh, uh, place preference earlier and to uh, other kinds of learning and memory things like that. So so these these two compounds you're, you're looking at them and their effects on on memory then? Definitely um, different kinds of memory, and the different neutral memory and memory. the emotional memory. Okay what effects are you seeing from from the THC versus the CBD or I guess you're giving them in combination too, right? Well, it, in general, we're seeing, uh, you know, with THC, there, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it's that it's able to produce cognitive deficits, so short-term memory loss and uh, can uh, exacerbate or precipitate a lot of the symptoms associated with uh, disorders like depression and anxiety and even schizophrenia. This is the THC? This is so the THC. The one that gets you high. The one that gets you high is, okay. is, is a associated with a lot of these impairments for okay. sure. However, the CBD, it's uh, a lot of evidence, as I've spoken to already, uh, in treating different psychiatric and non-psychiatric disorders, uh, including depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. And uh, the way the two different compounds interact with each other is still a very active area of research because there's a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence from people who use marijuana that uh, their marijuana use uh, is helpful for their disorders, such as uh, depression, anxiety, and uh, we won't go into schizophrenia right now, but those two disorders are definitely uh, claimed to be helpful with marijuana. Hmm. So discovering how THC and CBD interact in order to help with this or uh, hinder uh, these disorders is a very interesting area of research. I think also, um, if I'm right, that marijuana is kind of, a, especially in the last few decades, has been like cultivated to maximize on the THC and the CBD has kind of been downgraded a bit. So like uh, Certainly. Uh, as, as early as, say, 60 years ago, in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, uh, THC and CBD were, in, were present in nearly equal proportions within, the cannabis, uh, within various cannabis strains, around 4% of the total weight uh, for each of the compounds. But today, uh, the, the amounts or the relative amounts of THC can reach upwards of 30%, and the CBD ratios are well below uh, detectable ranges, 0.05%. That's, that's selective breeding for you. That's exactly it. So when I think of 
Cheech and Chong, you know, <laughs> spaced out, um, you know, not really sure what's going on a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the THC? Oh, they were definitely there? smoking some very high uh, THC strains for sure. Okay. Um, so a lot of your research, though, is, is linking a connection between the THC and CBD, so compounds in the marijuana, to neuropsychiatric disease. Um, how are they connected? Yes. Is, there, is there evidence that, that they can... Um, what is the evidence, I should say, that they can either help to treat or potentially exacerbate. So we want to focus in on schizophrenia specifically because that's more or less what my research is pertaining to in the research of my lab. Okay. Uh, schizophrenia is a, a very complex disorder in the sense that there's a lot of, uh, first of all, the symptoms associated with the disorder are, are very severe. Mm-hmm. However, the symptoms that are associated with uh, the drugs that are used to treat the schizophrenia are often claimed to be by the people who are taking these anti-schizophrenia drugs. The, the symptoms or the, the side effects that these drugs cause are often claimed to be much more severe than this, the, at least the early symptoms of schizophrenia that they're designed to treat. So in this sense, people who are taking medication to treat their schizophrenia, to, to treat or prevent the further progression of the disorder, they'll often choose to stop taking their medication. And this is, a, a this is an awful thing, right? Although the side effects that they're experiencing are very nasty and uh, debilitating. It's allowing the disorder to progress, and uh, they're not going to be the same if uh, the disorder progresses beyond a certain point where the, the treatments are no longer able to bring it back. Just stop you for a sec. Do you have any examples of the of those side effects that they're called extrapyramidal symptoms, and these are uh, psychomotor or movement related symptoms that uh, an individual isn't able to stop moving. Uh, they're Parkinsonian types of symptoms, so they'll have restless restless leg restless leg syndrome and different uh, different symptoms such as these very very nasty symptoms that uh, you, you do not want so you associated of, with the drugs. So uh, like a lot of movement type symptoms, like tremors definitely. and things. Okay, mm-hmm. but All CBD. Right. Uh, there's, a, there's at least one small-scale clinical trial that showed that CBD is effective in uh, just as effective, if not more effective, in treating uh, schizophrenia than uh, uh, an atypical antipsychotic that's typically used to treat the disorder called uh, amisulpiride. And CBD also has these beneficial effects with uh, little to no side effects, relatively few side effects relative to the uh, antipsychotic drug they were using in the study. CBD is currently in a stage or a few stage three clinical trials uh, going out into uh, for uh, schizophrenia treatment so we'll, we'll see where this research is going for sure in the future how That's far oh sorry so far how far along is stage three in the whole process it's the final stage before okay. uh, the drug uh, can be fda or can begin to be uh, used in the clinical level yeah so for anybody listening who's not uh, familiar with how it works so a phase one trial uh, basically just just means that you're, you're showing that it's kind of like not going to hurt people. And it's in a, it's, a, a population you know, of... It's uh, in like a very small handful of people. Um, a phase two trial is a slightly larger group, but it's again just to prove that it's not going to, to actually really harm somebody. And by the time you're getting to stage three, it's a smaller population still, but now you're looking for an actual effect of the drug to to help somebody. You're also trying to clear out, um, distinguish any of the side effects that are associated yeah. with the drug. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of getting clearer. And by the time you're at like a stage four trial, it's basically the drug is, has been approved to use and it's kind of an ongoing, really large scale, um, look at what's going on. Um, and, and you can pull the cord if you need to, but it's usually kind of much less regulated. 
Um, so I guess while we probably only have time for a little bit more, uh, I don't no, know. No, we have quite a bit. Oh, we do? Okay. Well, all right. Well, <laughs> I can't remember what my next question was now, though. Um, it was, it was about, it was about <laughs> the CBD, actually. So with, this, sure with the effects that we're seeing on CBD, what is the method of administration? So are they, are, are you, is it a strain of marijuana that's being smoked that's much higher in CBD? Is it a pill? Is it being injected? Often How are they taking it? Great question. Oftentimes with these, uh, in order to standardize the doses that individuals receive, uh, they'll be given orally or in a pill form. So typically 150 to 600 milligrams orally uh, in these individuals. Um, the reason that it's not used um, uh, to, s you don't smoke the drugs is because there's a large amount of variance associated with inhaling uh, drugs. So people's, uh, based on their prior experience with smoking, they may have uh, lesser capacities to uh, uh, absorb the, the air or whatever's going into the lungs. There's lots of variants associated with it, so. Hmm. Okay. So I guess my next question, and this is more of an anecdotal type of story. Um, a few years ago, there was the there was a story that, that somebody smoked marijuana and had like a, a psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're talking about using like the cannabidiol component in order to potentially treat um, psychiatric disorder schizophrenia um, but but I guess the other side has been shown um, at least anecdotally that there's a possibility of you know it inducing psychiatric issues can you speak to that a little bit not not the CBD specifically but definitely the THC the THC has the capacity to uh, induce schizophrenia in individuals who are genetically predisposed to the de to, to developing the disorder in the future, um, and for instance, in an individual who's going to develop schizophrenia based on their genetics, they may, uh, if they do consume high uh, large amounts of uh, marijuana with, uh, especially those with high uh, levels of THC, uh, they can develop schizophrenia anywhere from uh, two to four years earlier than if they uh, hadn't used marijuana. And this uh, difference in the time that an individual uh, has their schizophrenia diagnosis onset uh, can, can mean a, a big difference in terms of uh, how uh, they respond clinically to, to uh, treatment because if an individual is 19 years old and they're diagnosed with schizophrenia uh, they don't they may not have the uh, social support systems a level of education a, a fully developed brain and they're, they're, uh, these things are all associated with um, a lesser degree of compliance with medication and a lesser uh, treatment response rate all right and, and so correct me if I'm wrong but um uh, so schizophrenia has a general age window when it starts to manifest right it's uh, late teens early 20s definitely and so is there anything to look at when it comes to the kind of impact of a chemical like thc once you get past that point of brain development like is it like say you're a 30 year old or something Absolutely. Um, a lot of research is coming out, especially from, from our lab um, at Western Ontario. Uh, we're showing that um, THC in the adolescent brain is causing or producing uh, lots of the impairments that uh, you see in uh, later, uh, later on development of schizophrenia. So if an individual is exposed to uh, THC in adolescence, they have a larger uh, risk of developing schizophrenia in the future. Um, it, but in terms of adulthood, THC exposure doesn't seem to have the same uh, effects uh, in terms of um, 
the likelihood of developing schizophrenia. And there's actually research that's come out very recently in uh, a journal called Nature Medicine that showed that uh, very old rodents, when they're exposed to uh, extremely low-dose chronic THC use, um, they actually experience benefits in, in their memory, uh, learning and memory capacity. So mm -hmm. there seems to be this dichotomy where uh, early, uh, young, Adolescent use of cannabis or, or high THC use seems to be associated with uh, impairments and uh, development of these neuropsychiatric disorders. Um, but later on in life, the, uh, the THC use doesn't seem to have the same kind of impairments or the negative effects. You heard it here, kids. Put it down <laughs> and give it to grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so chemically, there's a lot of change in the brain over the lifespan, I guess. We can say. That would be a topic for a whole other podcast, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, you're 100% right with that. Absolutely. Right. So we are quickly running out of time, yeah, but I so. think you want to figure the last question? Yeah, yeah. So so knowing what you know um, about this and, and knowing that you know, next year we're coming to uh, the legalization um, and, you know, supply and demand will be met uh, of marijuana in, in this country, uh, Canada, for anyone listening, <laughs> I swear. Um, do you have any any reservations or or uh, I guess any warning policy suggestions? Pol yeah, there we go. <laughs> Something to be anything to be careful about. Uh, policy suggestions, in terms of I think Tristan, you said it best a little while ago. Uh, not necessarily to give it to grandma, but um, to, to put it down when when you're uh, when you're still have a developing brain. Uh, the research is still uh, out there, and it's uh, still to be determined how uh, marijuana affects the developing brain. And although there's um, uh, anecdotal. Uh, evidence or people that say that marijuana can cure cancer and there's other people that say that marijuana use is the worst thing in the world for you and that it will ruin your life. Um, the reality or the truth oftentimes doesn't rest at these polar ends of the spectrum. It's somewhere in the middle and that's where uh, we are right now. We're letting the data tell us exactly um, the answers to these questions and uh, I really hope that we can answer them soon. Man, that was eloquent. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh Thanks for everybody who's listening. If you're interested in being on the show, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Uh, you can check us out on iTunes or find our Facebook page or listen to us on CHRW 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Oh, and the rest of the show is available at gradcast.ca. Thanks for listening. Didn't